Home is where you feel safe. For me, home is a、uh, family. Number one,、uh, my parents. Let me be specific. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, or EMM, the Refugee Resettlement Ministry of the Episcopal Church. I'm Callie Muley Alexander, intern for West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry, a partner of EMM. Allison and Kendall, your podcast hosts, are currently at the 79th General Convention of the Episcopal Church, exhibiting in booth 410 in the exhibit hall and sharing EMM with more than 10,000 people attending General Convention. In today's episode, Kendall and Allison speak to Amanda Payne, the Minister for Youth and Children at St. James Episcopal Church in Dallas, where the majority of her youth group are Karen refugees from Myanmar. Amanda is one of EMM's ambassadors, volunteering her time to speak about the Ministry of Refugee Resettlement and Welcome at events across the Episcopal Church and beyond. If you'd like a speaker from EMM to visit your church or organization in person or virtually, visit www.episcopalmigrationministries.org/educate to learn more and request a visit. Without further ado, here's the episode. We continue to enjoy meeting folks from across the Episcopal Church here at the 79th General Convention. Coming up to our booth and filling out support refugees buttons, and we are here in the exhibit hall through tomorrow, July 11th at 2 p.m. Central Time. So if you're still at General Convention but you haven't visited us, please come by before the exhibit hall closes. Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because I feel like it's the right thing to do, and. I also support refugees because I want to be a welcoming face. I've lived a lot overseas, and I know that meeting a familiar face or having somebody help you out can really make the world of a difference. I support refugees because Jesus was a refugee, first of all, which I know is the cliche answer.、Um, but beyond that,、um, I'm, I support them because I'm upholding my baptismal covenant when I respect the dignity of every human being, regardless of race, culture, gender, whatever. Because refugees are humans, just like any of us, and being a human is not about that we provide for them just、uh, luxury items. It's about providing basic needs to human beings to live on this planet. So for me, it's not、um, just a political issue, and it's not just a issue of 2017 or 18. It is an issue always before us, and. It's much more than a political issue. It is a human basic rights issue. Because I'm an immigrant, I come from people that were refugees. I have a stepson from Ethiopia that's adopted, that's a refugee, and refugees are God's people too. So we're so excited today. We're joined with、uh, Amanda Payne, who's the minister to children and youth at St. James Episcopal Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for being with us, Amanda. Thanks for having me. So, Amanda, we've now known you. I don't know what has it been like a year and a half, some change since the pilot Love God, Love Neighbor training in 
uh, where were we at? In New Haven? In West Hartford, Connecticut. West Hartford, Connecticut. I knew, I knew, we, were, I knew we were in the north. So, yeah, tell our listeners about how you ended up coming to our pilot training at Love God, Love Neighbor. Um, well, actually, I was started to work at a, a church in, in 2015. I started working at St. James Episcopal Church in Dallas, Texas, and I started to uh, meet students that were at in my youth program that were refugees. Um, and I was trying to figure out where they were from and trying to figure out what um, how they had gotten here. Just really had never met a refugee before, didn't know anything about it. So I, was, um, I just did a Google search, and I was looking for resources to figure out where my kids were from. And I found Allison Duvall's information. And I just, I would have been cold calling people in the area, um, refugee services of Texas and different places. And I got in touch with um, Allison and just really wanted to know how my kids got here. Um, they, right. they had no idea. Um, they would just tell me they came on an airplane. And so, <laughs> um, so it really was like a cold call to Allison. Um, and we started talking and I told her about my ministry and, and the kids I was working with. And um, she said, you know, I think this is kind of a quick turnaround, but she's like, we have a pilot training and it was like a week or a week and a half. And she's like, do you think you could swing it? And I was like, I will make it happen. <laughs> so, um, so about a week and a half later, uh, went out to Hartford, Connecticut and, uh, or, and we had the love God, love neighbor training and, um, it was amazing. So it was such a great time of, of learning. And, um, it was like all the pieces came together of like trying to figure out how, um, the refugee resettlement program in the United States works, um, kind of talking about asset-based, uh, you know, assessments and community development. It was just, it was a little bit of everything. We talked about narrative and um, how to do a press release, uh, how to communicate you know, stories of people. And so I love feeling very empowered and um, feeling like I finally understood where my kids came from and I had the tools I needed to go back and, and work with my ministry and uh, really empower my kids. Well, and it was so awesome, Amanda, to have you at Love God, Love Neighbor because you you really have lived into the spirit of what we hope it, it to be. We want people to leave the training feeling empowered and equipped to speak about how important the work of welcome is and how refugee resettlement works because there's so many misconceptions and misunderstandings. And because of that, there is... Um, unwarranted fear around people who are actually our neighbors. They're our brothers and sisters, and we have to be, you know, ambassadors of that welcome, but also help help people to form relationships with people they might not otherwise get to know. So, and that's what you do every day in your ministry as a youth minister. Yeah. So, I'd love to hear more about your youth group kids. Yeah. Can you tell us about them? I could talk about them for a few <laughs> hours. Um, so, uh, yeah, my church has actually been working with refugees for about 10 years. And it started, they, there were a group of Anglican um, Karen refugees from Myanmar who were in this neighboring uh, apartment complex. And our um, parish priest, um, Father Gardner, would take them communion with his grandson, Drew. Um, and they would just take them communion every week. And slowly, uh, surely, they started to come over to the church um, and so for about 10 years, uh, St. James has been working with refugees. I don't think they understand the impact of what they have been doing mm. or the power of what they've been doing, which is really cool to come in um, over the last three years and kind of explain to them, like, what you're doing is really phenomenal work. Yeah. Um, and so over the past three years, um, we've grown um, the youth group. We went from eight kids to about 50 
Um, and that was huge. And That's was... exponential growth. Most <laughs> most churches don't get to experience. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was. It represented 425% increase, which was Whoa. crazy. Um, but it, within that was this really cool mix of, you know, these Anglo teenagers and then these Karen refugees and, like, coming together for pizza on Wednesday night and, like, having Bible study and just seeing, like, kind of the depth of, like, God's word, like, that mm-hmm. it can be applicable to a teenager who's dealing with, like, angst at school and another teenager who's dealt with extreme trauma um, mm-hmm. and has, ex- you know, experienced exponential loss um, and has totally different, you know, there's just a span where God's word comes together and, and you're able to reach both. Um, but also to see the love that they have for each other. Mm. Um, the youth group is is something that is very cohesive. And I look at it and I think we should reflect that. Mm. Um, and what St. James has done, which I just admire so much, is they just continue to love. They just love these people. And and they give back to us so much. Our uh, We have a one guy, his name is Tito, and he's an amazing cook. And we talk about his food all the time. And he comes and caters for us and That's cooks cool. food as just a blessing because he's been thankful for what St. James has done for him. But he gives back to us. And the kids serve at the homeless shelter every month. And they come, you know, ready to serve every Sunday or that once a month on Sunday. And they haven't necessarily eaten dinner themselves. And they will come and serve others. One of my refugee students, um, her favorite job at the homeless shelter, we serve about 411 people um, dinner, she'll stand at the end and give every person a hug. Aww, um, and she's she's one of the examples of just an exemplary, you know, st- person. Um, she watched her entire village be murdered. Um, and then when she was coming over to the Thai border um, to come into refugee camp, she saw people be pulled off of the um, bus that she was on as a little girl and oh um, be beat and try to get money from them. Um, she experienced horrible things in refugee camps, um, but she is someone who just continually gives back, and it's just been such an inspiration um, for for me personally. I, I don't think I can even put into words um, how life-giving my relationship with these refugee students has been. Um, she's at college at a four-year college. Her freshman year, she got $26,000 of scholarship oh, money. Wow. She wrote her essays in broken English, and I was looking over them for her because you do a lot of different things when you're, <laughs> when you're a youth minister. Yeah, when you're a youth minister, and especially when you work with refugees, you do you find yourself in some odd situations. Um, but, but it's cool, and, and I, I was praying over, and I just thought, should I correct this or not? And I thought, no, this is these are her words, and. Um, and we sent them off, and, and God was just so faithful in that. And just watching these miracles, these kids are miracles. The fact that they're here, you know, was it less than half of 1% of refugees, refugees get resettled, you know? And, and I think these kids, if they were not here, they would be dead, or they would have horrible things happen to them. They would be inscripted in an army. They would be child soldiers. Um, and I just think I, it just breaks my heart because I know them and love them. And to know them is to love them, period. Mm. Um, and I know that the other half of my kids or the other part of my kids are still over in refugee camps. And I haven't even met them yet. And it just it breaks my heart. So um, we talk a lot about remembering those that are still in camps mm. um, because that is important for them to um, to own their story and know their story and tell their story um, and feel empowered to know that their experience is value, valuable and, and that they've been through something that is um, that is something that people should know about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things that we had talked about that I'd 
love for you to expand upon is that the way that your church has welcomed refugees and that it's not like this handout or this outreach ministry so much as it's really like fully integrating refugee families into the church and you're all just one body of people and I'd love for you to speak to what it looks like to really fully welcome Mm. refugees into your church and what it can look like when you're all together in that ministry yeah um, I think over the last couple of years, I, it was like kind of exploring and learning about other ministries across the country and, and coming back to St. James and being like, There's, this looks different than anything I've seen. Mm. Um, and it's really, it's something that you have to, we've been really, had to be really intentional about with language, intentional about how we approach it and intentional, intentional about our narrative. Uh, you know, this whole who's helping who thing is something yeah. you really need to be careful with because you think you're coming in to help these refugees and they are, they are giving life to you and they are um, reviving your church and they are, you know, doing everything from, you know, fixing a community garden to serving the homeless. I mean, it's, it's really this, it's remembering that we're in this love story together and there are times when, you know, you're taking their hand and there are times when they're taking yours. Mm. So I think continually coming back and understanding that there are times when we act missionally toward them and then there are times when we are the people who are um, needing needing that outreach. Um, but it is something that we've had to be very intentional about and it, being creative about how our ministry works. Um, there's different financial, you know, needs that we have. But God has always been someone to provide that. And so I love that we're not putting them outside the church. It's not a parachurch organization, which there's nothing wrong with. Those are amazing. But there's something to be said about the church is meant for refugees. The church mm. is the place where refugees should be able to to come and land their head and that we should be equipped to to welcome them instead of you know putting them outside of the church and saying, "Well, no, we can't handle this, so we're going to put you in a separate organization." Mm. When really the church is meant for the sojourner and it always has been and always will be. So I love that St. James has done that, and they've, they've just sacrificed a lot and taken gambles, and we've, we've failed at stuff, and we've succeeded at stuff, but we've just continually come back, and they've continually loved and given grace and really dropped expectations of what ministry is going to look like. I mean, our expectations of what ministry look like are it's out the window. You know, it's just, and it's really cool because you see God move in that in so many different ways um, because you 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 can't do this nice, neat um, kind of like formal ministry because it's God's all in it. So, mm. I, I love I love everything that you said. I think what's so important. Um, I'm thinking about this from the perspective of somebody being a member of a church. Um, that if we truly, as a church, as a church community, as a congregation, want to say that we're welcoming, we really do have to do that kind of self-assessment about how how our community lives its life if it really is open and welcoming for people who might have a completely different story and it sounds like that's what St. James has been doing is trying to figure out who are we who is God calling us to become and how are we really welcoming and what does that mean and how do we have to change ourselves to be actually welcoming so kind of moving past you know when refugees first arrive um, there's a lot that has to be done in their initial period of resettlement but they are also our neighbors. And so once we're beyond, like, you know, physical needs, making sure housing needs are met, employment, kids are in school, and we're really trying to build community, um, the community that we have as Episcopalians is congregational community. Are our congregations welcoming? 
for people who don't have our story, don't speak the same language that we do. So I think it's just really, it's really cool what's been going on at St. James is that you are trying to figure that out. Yeah, and it's it's so neat to see general generation generationally. Um, you know, there's there's these super loving grandparents that are out there that just love these kids and. There's, you know, people that are, they just, they know that it's time for school supply time and they, they know to buy some extra for some of our refugee kids. Um, it's just, it's really cool how it's worked its, its way and how, how we continue to try to do that. But my, my hope and my, my dream for other churches is to not, um, not shy away from that. And mm-hmm. to, when you have the chance to re- welcome refugees, say yes. And when you have the chance to have them come into your congregation, say yes, don't, Um, You know, make friends with other organizations, know the resources that are out there, but know that the church can handle a diverse, diverse community. You know, Mm -hmm. in this upper class Dallas neighborhood, we have this really fun congregation that is like half Korean refugees and and half just regular suburban American parents and young families. Um, And it's working. And that's something that is so cool. And not only is it working, but we're just seeing amazing fruits. God is just doing amazing things. Um, th- through the kids and, and with us as adults and uh, us as just parishioners, for us having exposure to these different cultures and understanding um, the difficulties that these kids have been through and their resilience, it's inspiring. Mm. Well, I'd love to, for you to talk about the, you know, just personal impact for you of mm. of growing this ministry, this youth ministry with refugee children, what it's meant to you and your faith, and especially uh, listeners, Amanda is about to wrap up uh, the next couple of years at seminary. So I'm just really curious about your faith journey and how it's impacted your faith journey. Yeah, um, it was, It's been huge for me. In 2016, I lost my father to um, suicide, and it was very sudden. And um, the month prior, we'd lost one of our students to suicide. Um, and then month later I was in a major car accident and I was had a traumatic brain injury so 2016 was not a great year um but during that time I just found I just kept coming back to these kids and I kept coming back to their strength um and I knew I just you know was devastated and just I mean I think of Psalm 130 and I think about um how it opens just saying like God I the bottom has been ripped out from under my life and um that was where I was and um, when that, you know, when that car accident had happened, I remember just being very upset with God that they, he didn't make the car go faster because I just I was so exhausted with grief. I was so exhausted with just having to even be present in any way. And um, the thing that kept me going was the kids. And um, they don't, you know, they have no idea that they did that for me. But um, I just knew that their story, they had been through more than I had. And they had experienced more trauma than I had. They had experienced more grief. And they are so joyful and praising the Lord and uh, grateful for everything. Grateful for everything, you guys. Like, uh, you know, soda water is, like, just so exciting for them. Pizza with ranch dressing is, like, the best thing ever. (laughs) I mean, pizza with ranch dressing is It is really the best thing ever. But um, if they could do that, if they could wake up with a smile on their face, then I could do it. And they would come and bring me. I, I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't. Uh, my, my short-term memory was was shot, and I couldn't really have a coherent even conversation. And so I remember some of the times when they would come over, they would bring me rice meals, and they were too spicy. I couldn't eat them. <laughs> but, 
Um, but they would be bring me food and make sure I was okay. And I'm like, these are 15, 16 year old kids that should be, you know, selfish teenagers. And they are sitting here taking care of their youth minister who's pent up at home, just strapped down with grief and just feels like she's at the bottom. And so, um, I just know that that personally saved me. It just did. I, I know that Christ redeemed, but he used those kids. Those, you know, if he was the rescuer, they were the lifeboat. And that Ooh. was just how it was. And um, that was really when I just dove into them and, and realized that, like, they had saved me. Their story had saved me. And if other people knew their story, um, how many more people could we help? And how many, you know, we're just missing out on this. And so that, for me, was very pivotal. And I think um, God has just been so faithful to bless these kids um, with every opportunity they get. It just kept me going. You know, every scholarship they would get kept me going. And it was just one thing after another that, you know, we had a film crew come down from Nashville to make a video about the kids. And they were interviewing the kids. And they were telling their own story. And it was just one thing after another that God was like, hang on. Like, we're doing something here. Um, and so for me, it was a personal salvation um, and a personal redemption through these kids. And that's when I, I, I just knew that other people had to know their story. So. Listeners, in the interest of full disclosure, we we took a cry break just there. <laughs> we needed to relocate. We needed to take a moment. Um, so thank you, Amanda, for for saying what you said and for sharing part of your story. And what matters so much to me personally, but also to Episcopal Migration Ministries, is that people, you know, get to know their neighbors, but also form real relationship. Because if you don't have that person-to-person connection and that um, that moment where your heart is opened, you can't really know or feel or be inspired as an advocate to to work for um, for the continuation of a robust refugee resettlement program. Like we can talk like policy wonks all day about all that stuff, but really what it's about is human lives and human connection and it's about love. Um, and the love that you feel for your students. And that's, that's why, that's why you're involved as an ambassador with EMM in the first place. It's because of those, that love that you have for them. So thank you. Thanks. And I think it was interesting listening to Bishop Curry talk about living life fully. And it just made me think like, that is what I feel like I have gained with working with refugees as this fullness of, of living, living life fully through with love and relationship and the failures that come with love and they, you know, gambles and risk and, you know, the heartaches that come with that. Um, but also to be thinking about preserving life just in general, you know, the people that are dying, you know, in refugee camps, the people that are dying, you know, because their countries are trying to exterminate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I think of living life fully, you know, I not only think about the richness that refugees here bring to us, but also kind of the more global mission of, of making sure that we're getting people to a safe place and that we're opening our arms to them. So absolutely. Amen to that. Well, and everything that you shared um, and everything that we know about the ministry that you do, it always feels to me very much like the children that you work with are your family. Um, and so I'm interested, honestly, to ask you about the meaning of home for you, because you know that 
our podcast is called Hometown, and we generally ask all of our um, interview guests what home means to them, and I'm interested to know what home means to you. Uh, I, I do get in trouble for saying my kids a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know a better way to do it because they're not mine. They're God's kids. Um, and we were talking earlier about how God doesn't have grandchildren. But um, I think home is is just a safe place. And for me, I just think Wednesday night and pizza and laughter and toothy grins <laughs> and um, just, you know, these kids that, that – you know, pry open the parish hall door and they just look like they're coming down the stairs on Christmas morning because they're so excited to come share a meal. Um, they're so excited to be in a safe place. Um, and so I think just imagining those, those grins and those smiles and that laughter, um, that, that's home for me. And as you, you know, go off to seminary and, and go to the next phase of your ministry, how do you see working with refugees in the future in your ministry? Do you think that's always going to be a part of your ministry or, yeah, can you talk about that? I hope so. And, you know, I think there's different seasons of, of life. And um, I just am trying to, I can't even imagine where God will take me. Because, you know, three years ago, I didn't even know what a refugee was. I'd never met one. And so, and here it's such a enmeshed part of my life. Um, and, and my everyday life has to do with these kids. Um, so I don't know what the next chapter is going to hold, but I think it'll be beautiful. And um, I'm going to, to train with future pastors and future priests. And I hope to bring the, you know, awareness and good news to, to Neshota House and um, to be able to equip them to understand how important this ministry is. And so I think just continuing to advocate in whatever context you're in, um, that for me will just be a priority to continue to advocate and look for opportunities because they are, they're out there. You just have to keep pushing and keep asking and you're going to get a hundred no's, but you will get a yes. And those yeses that you get are just golden. Well, certainly at Episcopal Migration Ministries, we will continue to want you to, to go out and, and represent this ministry because you're doing amazing work for us. So, yeah, we're really grateful. Well, and I want to con- encourage people and let them know, like, Episcopal Migration Ministry is a resource that is out there for everyone. Um, and it really was a Google search that, you know, I found Allison's information, emailed her, talked to her on the phone, and, like, it led to this awesome, you know, relationship that we've built. But everything that I've come up against or come, you know, when I have a success, I email you guys and mm-hmm. say, look what ha- what's happening with my kids. And y'all have become a constant partner in my ministry at a parish level. And mm-hmm. so to remember that you guys are here for us at a parish level, you are here um, if we're in a parachurch ministry, if you're in, you know, a ministry that is a secular one for refugees or a church one for refugees, you guys are an available resource. Um, you guys are able to help. You have amazing stuff. And I would just encourage people to look into Love God, Love Neighbor. That was a huge pivotal moment for me. Um, really amazing information. I got to network with people. I didn't feel alone in my ministry because I was all of a sudden meeting people that were doing um, the same ministry, different ways in different places, um, different experiences. And it was really um, encouraging and made me feel equipped to go back and help my kids. And I know, I absolutely know that I would not have been effective in affecting the change that we have at St. James without those tools when I came back. It was like all of a sudden I had you know, holstered up and ready to go when I got back. And so I encourage people to look up Love God, Love Neighbor, see when the next training is going to be and get there um, in any way you can. Thanks so much. And if you all go to our website, EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org, under the What We Do drop-down menu, there's a page about educating communities, and that's where you can find information about Love God, Love Neighbor. And we're actively looking for partner churches and dioceses and even provinces to help us host new Love God, Love Neighbor trainings. So 
thanks for being part of the first class. <laughs> it was it was great. And thank you guys for everything you do. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. Yes, we're so happy to have you as our friend Amanda. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. They say it's the West, home is best. But where is home? Is it the place that embraced me, the place to raise me, or the place where I was born? So where is home? Where is home? My whole life I had to answer. The Thanks so much for joining us today for Hometown. From now through July 13th, EMM is running a t-shirt fundraiser campaign. Did you know that the Episcopal Church, through EMM, has long resettled and welcomed refugees? More than 90,000, in fact. It is part of who we are as followers of Jesus. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. It's time to share the message of welcome, loudly and proudly, to work to change hearts and minds, to be ministers of welcome and bearers of hope in the midst of a challenging and grave time, to proclaim that we hashtag support refugees. Proclaim that you welcome refugees with your very own EMM Support Refugees t-shirt. Your purchase supports our ongoing work to resettle refugees, educate communities, and equip advocates for welcome. Visit bit.ly forward slash EMM t-shirt before July 13th and order your t-shirt today. Link in the podcast notes. This podcast was produced by me, Callie Muley-Alexander, with the West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry. Until next time, listeners, peace be with you and all those you consider home.